It's July 14th, 2021, and we're talking to Papa Smithy from 100 Thieves about the acquisition of Abadaga, FBI's case for MVP, and a whole lot more. This is the True Sight Podcast. Welcome to the True Sight Podcast by Oracle's Elixir, your source for in-depth analytical coverage of professional League of Legends and the rest of the esports world. I'm Tim Magic Sevenhusen, and my guest on the show today is the one and only Chris Papa Smithy Smith, General Manager of 100 Thieves, uh, former LCK and International Color Caster as well. Welcome to the show, Papa. Very happy to be here, Tim. I know you've been on my trail for a while, so finally <laughs> schedules align, and let's have a chat. Yeah, there are a few kind of mythical beasts in in my mm. in my targets mm. that I've been tracking down in different periods of time. But uh, very happy that we can finally get you get you in here to talk about things that things have settled down enough. I know that you know your your mid season, off season, however you want to label that, was quite busy, and yep. uh, you know a lot of things trailing on from that. And then you guys have had a, a lot of things going on competitively in the summer split so far. So I think there's a lot that we can talk about uh, and and kind of get some insights from you hopefully on. So. Why don't we just jump right into it and, and talk about sure. the offseason um, and hear from you. I, I think I'd love to start with kind of the, the big uh, piece that came out of that, which is obviously the Abadaga uh, acquisition and the signing from that. Um, and, and love to hear a little bit of the story on that, um, especially like at what point into the year you decided like, hey, this is something we're going to go after and, and, and see what kind of move we can make. For sure. I, I think timetables are always, you know, you're always doing a little bit of reverse engineering to fully kind of uh encapsulate them after the fact but the big reflection on spring was is that you know we came forth but it was a, a distant fourth by the end you know that was kind of the vibe we were feeling we weren't closing the distance to top three and from the moment that the 2020 off season began you know at the end of uh sorry the 2021 off season began so at the end of 2020 um the big goal was to try to put forward a roster that could make worlds so Obviously, feeling that at the end of spring was something that needed to be reversed, needed to be changed, and so we made two central chaining, two central changes. You know, I, I honestly believe if you're going to make two changes, mid laner and and coach are going to be the two biggest kind of like foundational pieces to change what your team looks like. Basically, we were coming to the end of the season. We were eliminated by uh, TSM in the playoffs and. Right then it was like, okay, is there a way to strengthen our roster? And at that point, we didn't have the extra information about uh, someday's green card or anything like that. So we were just looking at all our pieces at face value and trying to understand where we were at and where we could strengthen. And then two days after the season concluded for us, someday sent me a message on Discord and was like, I got this piece of paper. And that was the piece of paper that indicated that the green card was imminent, that it would arrive at some point during the off season. And... Then it was into the lab, you know, into the uh, the Rolodex, as you and I would call it, and looking up <laughs> into options. And it was a, a very quick pivot needed because, you know, we, we thought we were within certain frameworks with our options. And then suddenly it was the world's your oyster, you know, like you got to go and uh, see what's out there. So very quickly the conversation changed. And so, yeah, to answer your question kind of succinctly, it was two days after um, the offseason began for us that we had to quickly pivot and work out what our options looked like. And, and how did that that process of uh, uh, identifying the options, and you know, obviously you, you selected Abadaga at the end or like made that deal mm -hmm. work, but um, in being in, in the mid-season mid break and being a GM of a team, how does that process look to identify like what options might be available? How do you reach out and talk to teams or identify the list of free agents? Uh, how does that kind of like th those steps uh, fall out? So then you, you have to rewind a bit. So as you can imagine, the GM doesn't really get to focus on the present season as the present season starts to conclude. You know, the moment that you start pushing into playoffs or towards the end of the last round robin, yes, you're trying to stay on top of present day, but you would imagine your head coach and other staff is going to be on top of the day-to-day. -day, and you need to be prepared for what comes next, you know, which is the off-season, which is the scouting that precedes the off-season and things like that. So we were looking into different ways to facelift our um, 
League of Legends department, obviously weeks before the news came in that kind of pivoted us on mm. what our options would look like. But when it comes to narrowing down, once it became clear that, um, you know, someday's green card came in, the, the sort of players we were targeting or scouting had to pivot quickly because we were looking into, okay, how are we going to approach summer in the case that um, nothing changed? And for that, um, I guess I haven't talked about it on record, but the concept was probably going to be pick between Ryoma and Demonte, like having both of them competing by the end didn't feel like we were getting a lot out of it. So, mm -hmm. you know, pick one, and that's obviously the coach and the players and everyone brought in to decide which way to go there. And then maybe consider like a, a minor region import for Academy or looking into a player that could bike, say, 2022 be someone that we could try to like make a, a change in roster around. I mean, you look at someone like TakeOver that TSM brought in, that's not a player that was on our radar necessarily, but maybe looking around the minor region and seeing what's possible. Obviously, Luger has come in and done a really great job for us in Academy, and so maybe taking an approach like that was something that we were looking into, you know, six weeks out from the time that we got the information about someday. And then the pivot becomes, okay, you can import a mid laner for summer season and you think back to you know the brief which is make worlds then suddenly the the caliber and tier of player you're looking at is very different and so the question becomes how do you find who you're looking for and and who's out there and who's willing to move mid-year and that's uh that's where my calendar starts to fill up and you have a lot of meetings to understand what's out there and we need to do that. We need to do that quickly because the moment you know what's out there, you need to scout these players. You can't just go based on reputation. You know, this guy's top five in LEC, or this guy's a promising rookie in Korea. Like, that's not enough for us. You know, when it comes to hitching our wagon and spending a lot of money on a player in order to change our fortunes. So, definitely a lot of quick conversations, ear to the ground, understanding what's out there, and then from there scouting, making a priority list, and starting conversations. So it was definitely uh, while people were waiting to, you know, um, watch the LCS final and things like that, we were deep in the lab over here trying to work out what the options were like. And I guess, like, part of the the equation on this is, like like you said, players that are willing to move mid-year, but also teams that are willing to let them move. And, and of course, any player that's under contract, you can't just reach out directly to them and be like, Correct. hey, would you be interested in, in an LCS move? So... I mean, how much how much preparatory work do you do for talking to these teams? Do you maintain like active relationships and lines of communication with lots and lots of different teams just so that you can move into this faster, or is it more of like uh, more of a case by case? We might be interested in this player, and now you initiate contact, things like that. So I think to answer your question, uh, obviously you know poaching is a big thing in League of Legends, and there's obviously a lot of very clear rules you have to circumvent. So to the essence of it, yes, you're not reaching out to any players directly or anything like that. The only option I have that I can do is to reach out to a general manager or send a cold email to, you know, the um, the email address on the global contract database. And as you can imagine, if you're sending a cold email to a, the global contract database while teams are still in season in some cases, yeah. you're not going to get much of a reply. Or well, and, and if it's not a conversation they industry, want to have. Yes. Is an as, as you would know, email. people don't always <laughs> respond to emails or Twitter DMs, right? Yeah. Um, so to what you were asking, it, those active relationships with other orgs, both within um, North America and international, is a really big thing. And I think that is something that a general manager can be graded on is if they have to have a conversation, how quickly can they have it? And are they able to have it with the right person and get the right answer rather than you know, if you're a GM and you send out five emails to teams that you would like to sign a player from and get no responses and then say, well, I, I didn't hear anything, you're not fulfilling yeah. your role. You're not doing your job. So thankfully, was able to get people to have those conversations. And yeah, it's always at the GM and board level, owner level, depending on who like the main kind of like League of Legends person is on the staff and just understanding like, hey, is there a conversation here? Like, this is where we're at. This is what we're thinking about is this something you want to entertain? And if they say no, you you know shake hands virtually and, and thank them for their time and you go down to the next name on the list. What's involved for you guys in, in scouting the players in terms of like making that priority list? Like, hey, who's our number one option if we can get them, our number two? Um, who all contributes to that? 
So at our org, we have a pretty big um, decision-making panel on things like that. I think the head of it would be Joseph Jang, a name that people would have heard around our org for a long time. He was our assistant LCS coach in 2020. Now is Title, which sometimes I butcher because in my head I, I've memed it enough times, but I believe the official title is Head of Strategy and Analytics. But definitely when it comes to our scouting framework and what areas we prioritize around players, like that was a lot of his work. Uh, Tony Ozix, when he was here, obviously contributed to it a lot. And now Reaper comes in and helps around that. And a lot of the specific scouting is done by you know the people who obviously understand the game at the the best level so at our org that would be freeze our lcs assistant coach lost boy another one of our assistant coaches grayson or golden glue you know is someone that contributes there and it's just a case of these are the areas of the game we prioritize we try and get access to pov footage in order to have like the best read on those things rather than trying to rely on broadcast and then hoping that there's not a replay that's two minutes long that like stops you from seeing the things you're trying to grade, which classic. Oh boy, I, I'm sure you know how that goes so, when it so comes glad to So bad ProView is things. back for LCS. Exactly, um, and yeah, it's it's very much all hands on deck when it comes to uh, scouting players and and judging players and being able to prioritize. But you just try to surround yourself as a GM with as many smart people on the staff as possible, and then put them to work to to find out what the right answer is. You know. Is there some like a, a divide between what you would consider kind of coaching and analytics staff versus management staff and, and how they contribute to that? I, I'm not super familiar with the Hunter Thieves or like org chart, but do you have like I think when it comes to do stuff it, like that? When it comes to League of Legends, um, as the general manager, I, basically everyone below me is game day staff to some degree. Right. I think Joseph Jang is the exception. You know, he he wanted to move away from game day coaching to more scouting and mm -hmm. um, software initiatives and um, those other things. So he's the only other person in our League of Legends stuff that's not like deliverable on a team like LCS Academy or amateur performance. You know, he's separated from that like myself mm -hmm. and his game knowledge is obviously a lot more immediate and realized than me having been a LCS, you know, assistant coach just last year. So I think the only thing to make clear is that when it comes to specific kind of game assessments even though i come from a league of legends analysis background and, and casting i don't want to represent myself as a gameplay expert in 2021 i didn't hire you know a massive staff below me to be the final decision maker on this person's spacing is slightly better than this person this person <laughs> like target accuracy is slightly better i understand the game enough to be able to you know be a bs checker or to be able yeah. to have an opinion and things like that and i feel like my greatest asset as a gm is enough game knowledge to ask questions um mm -hmm. and and hopefully they're smart questions i would say you know 80 percent hit rate on that um <laughs> and then just make sure that i have a full picture in order to make a decision because at the end of the day the central um deliverable for a general manager is what is the quality of your list you know a list manager what's the quality of your lcs team your academy team your amateur team do you have the right players in the right positions in the right pipelines and if not you're failing your job on some level sure yeah i mean i think that's that's something very interesting to me is is the uh the role of a gm in constructing a staff below them that can mm -hmm. feed them the right information at the right times because the gm can't be expected to know everything about all the different topics and obviously you know, having deep, deeper knowledge of gameplay or like a, a greater ability to individually scout a player, that's an asset, but that's not really the primary role necessarily. Or, or you know, if you're hey, It can that. be humbling at times. Yeah. I think we've had casters around game in multiple games and you know, transition to GM roles and head coach roles. And I think every caster comes in thinking they know more than they do. And that sounds like a slight on casters, but it's more so the way you approach a cast and the analysis you need in order to be a good caster is going to be influenced by yeah. variables that really aren't relevant to game day coaching and game day minutia. And it's very easy to kind of push yourself to an area outside your expertise because it's like tangential or related or feels like it's something you should know because you, you knew it from a broadcast context. And then very quickly, the people you hired are not being empowered to do the role that they 
definitely know best. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm two years in and I made my mistakes in my first year, I think, especially at the start. And it, I always had the central idea, even before I took this job of, okay, uh, you know, you hire these people for a reason, empower them. And even then, because of the background, you'll make missteps. But uh, I, you'd have to ask the other guys, but I think I make less missteps as I go on. Sure. And, and, and I'm sure there's a lot of uh, humility necessary in that, right? To come in and, yep. and say like, okay, I'm not going to assume that I'm an expert in this and that I know as well as, you know, the assistant coach knows this. Um, being open to uh, appearing wrong or asking questions that might make you not look good and then you learn from it, right? I think that's a For sure. and, and uh, philosophy. When I worked with play-by-play -play casters in league that, that had game knowledge, I would always say in a duo cast, there's not enough space for the play-by-play -play to do hard analysis, right? Like if Captain Flowers goes into a long analytical point, then there's not that much for the color caster to bounce off or things there because like his ground has kind of been... Um, walked onto. So in that case, whenever you're talking to a play-by-play -play as a color caster, you say, channel that knowledge into really good questions. You know, set me up with a really good question that demonstrates that you're, you have a deep understanding of this. And so as a GM, I'm pretty similarly just trying to ask questions where I'm like, hey, these are the premises I'm working on. This is what I saw. Can you um, confirm or deny this? Or am I, am I off base here when I'm judging this this way? Um, and I, I kind of approach whether it's like weird things in scrims or trying to pick between two players and seeing something that I think looks pretty important but might not be to a to a you know scout. I try to approach it that way. And, and you're right, there is definitely humility involved. But because I'm the piece that hired all the other pieces, I should know what the strengths are of my staff. Otherwise, again, it's a mistake on me that I you know not hired in the right way. Yeah. Absolutely. So wrapping back around a little more to the specifics here, and, and mm -hmm. we'll move on from the whole Abadaga situation a little bit, but um, you know, how, how do you think things are going so far? You're two round robins in playing with him, one more to go, and then the playoffs, and how have you guys felt about uh, his contributions? Look, I think he's been everything we wanted and more. You know, we were definitely looking for this mid laner who could contest the top of uh, the LCS, and scouting reports said this guy should be top two. That was kind of our expectation coming in, you know, like perks on a good day. Obviously, you always will respect as something that can reach a level that's rarely seen anywhere, let alone in North America. But we're like, OK, Abadaga will be a reliable piece that will contest perks and the rest of the league. And, and I think everyone would agree that we've seen that. But what we didn't know was how much of a, I guess, Swiss Army knife um, Felix as a person is or Abadaga as a person is. He's been able to step up in a lot of different contexts, whether it's like leadership or in reviews or champion pool wise, you know, like the karma first week, obviously that caught a lot of people's eyes. Like he's as down to be like a, a support in the mid lane as he is to be a hard carry as he is to go on the kind of patented control mages that a lot of people would have known him for. Um, so any archetype of League of Legends or any tough conversation or even in-game where one of our biggest issues to begin with was kind of overcoming and, and clogging up comms with too much status um, updates after Reaper kind of like took on that feedback and we worked on our comms, he was happy to be the person to kind of push conversations forward or like ha give like the hard comment of like, hey guys, we need to stop with this and focus on this. Mm -hmm. And all of those things, all of those the extra value that he's provided the team. What that honestly does is, on the one hand, it gets you victories, which obviously the fans see, but on the other hand, it gets more out of the players around you. And I think that's something where, if you already bring in a player who, based purely on the eye test, is gonna be someone who's top of his role, like I would say that Abadaga has been the best performing mid laner. And I can also tell you, hey, like he's allowing everybody else to play better or for their talents to be realized more that should show just how valuable he's been so far in the summer of 2021. Yeah, for sure. Uh, another player, I think, who who has been a really big part of the story for you guys all year is FBI. Um, mm -hmm. And I'd, lo I'd love to hear a little bit about your thoughts on him because uh, it was June 27th, he posted a tweet and you described FBI as, quote, a player that opens championship windows, end quote. And you also wrote that you based most of your off-season back in uh, November, December on trying to acquire him. So I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that, about 
how you know obviously you guys for the context of this anyone who doesn't remember you guys bought a, or brought in a four-player core from golden mm-hmm. guardians a mixture of free agency and, and buyout um and so describe that as you know your your plan was really fbi is the center of that um we'd mm-hmm. love to hear a little bit more uh, on that thought sure for clarity um kind of the reflection of leadership so that's people above me um you know the big bosses 100 Thieves was that 2020 was a good start but they wanted me to explore any options for us to be able to contend in 2021 to be able to push for worlds realistically to push for titles if it's possible basically um when i came in in 2020 the the budget was set largely for what they wanted for 2020 and i had a framework to work in and then for 2021 it's all right the budget is flexible but this is what we want try and get it and what that Mm -hmm. translates to is you need to go over all options and if any of the options you can basically come forward and say like hey with these players we can contend then they're going to vet it very closely and largely support it financially which you know it's, it's always going to be an incredible expense in order to compete at the top you look at tl tsm and c9 who all made like a a banner purchase you know for the 2021 season where they clearly showed their intent with their dollars and 100 Thieves was basically even before all that information was out there, right? Because all these conversations are happening in yeah. July, August of 2020, basically saying like, hey, we want to contend with the big boys. So from there, a lot of scouting, you know, this is obviously a really big undertaking. It's a bit of a pivot because a lot of our wins in 2020 were around our young players. So I'm sure I know that, you know, with your academy standouts and eye on amateur, you've been high on a lot of our young players for a long time. This was very much a statement of, can we win now? So basically my job as a GM is to you know, explore every avenue to see if that's possible. And so the deliverable from that, that I put out to leadership was, these are four players I see where I believe they're available. You know, this is obviously early in the off season, yeah. it, whether it's like contracts expiring or what you hear down the grapevine or anything like that, I believe they're available if we can pick up any of these four players, these are big, big talents, then I believe we can contend. If we miss out on all four, I don't think it's possible. And I think we should go with mm. this direction, like with a more developmental roster, with maybe this player is the player who's like the the top kind of prospect to center around. And it was an ordered list, and, and number one on the list was FBI. You know, this mm. was just after the rule change of residency, you know, for the... Yeah. Oceanic players, so probably around the same time people hearing rumors about Cloud9 considering their options in top lane. Um, and I basically looked at FBI as a player who, through scouting, outstanding player, aggressive mindset, you know, like he's a, a very unique talent. I thought of that when he was an import, but for him to be a domestic player and for us to be moving on from Cody Sun, like this was the sort of player we wanted to build around. So when you hear firepower and the other words we use, like hmm. this guy typifies that. And it's if we have this player, that's the beginning building block on what we think could be a contending roster. And so we were able to get one of the four we were looking for, and they were big, big names. You know, I don't want to just list out some of the top players in the world, but we were definitely you know, looking outside North America and inside North America for players who also would draw other players. Because the one thing I can tell you is, is the, the moment that we kind of reached an agreement with Golden Guardians to pick up FBI, um suddenly your phone starts ringing and people hear through the grapevine you know and for unofficial channels what's happened and literally the same day the hottest free agents were messaging me being like i heard this happened is it true and can i consider 100 thieves also you know like that's Mm. that's the sort of level there because what i can tell you about fbi on the internal side is I'm sure you can tell from his gameplay, he applies a lot of pressure, right? Like, I'm sure the enemy bot laner is always calling resources to try to deal with the sort of lane pressure that FBI or FBI and who he were able to provide. And when you're scrimming against these teams a lot more than, you know, just a couple of stage games a season, that's what you're left with. And there was a lot of players who were like, I know how much pressure this player applied to my team in scrims. I would love to play with this player was kind of the, the vibe I got. And, it, you know, as a central piece... He's been all I could ask for and more so far in the first year or so. Yeah, and, and, and I'm sure, because I know who he was one of the free agents of that group, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I believe if I'm correct on this, uh, it was Closer, DeMonte, and, and FBI came as a bio package and who he was a free agent. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm sure that's one of the ones, if you bring FBI and he and who he had had this experience together, he's, I'm sure he's one of the ones who, oh, yeah, I want to play with him again. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's, it's, he's definitely showing, uh, especially this split, um, that, that your faith in him is, is, uh, being well-deserved. Uh, I, I don't think it's a, a stretch to say he's a pretty clear MVP candidate along with a, a couple others. Uh, and we'll have to see if that, uh, if that plays out or not. Um, and I, and I think there are also other factors in, in what has been working out for you guys this split compared to last split, putting you as, you know, I, I think the top end of the LCS is a little mixed up on, on sure. who the actual best teams are in any given week. Um, um, so we can talk about that in a minute as well. But but obviously, you've, you've mentioned already the coaching change that came in as well with Reaper coming in, and, and you've talked about some of the, the effects he's had on, on team comms and, and so on. Um, one of the areas that I'm really interested in to hear about how he's influenced them is is the the synergy between someday and closer because in spring I think that this was a pretty clear issue at times that they seemed like they both want to do different things in different moments and it wasn't quite clicking. I'm not sure if that was the same perception inside the team, um, but you know, assuming it was, or you know, take it on whatever direction you want. If that's if that wasn't the case, how has Reaper kind of uh, spoken into that kind of partnership? Yeah, I can't speak to the specific partnership between. Yeah jungle and top but i can speak about the specific role of the jungler i think that uh, the jungler always you know and we've had multiple junglers starting here it's always in a review the easiest to critique the jungler or mm. talk about how the jungler could have been different because especially as a coach you know you can say hey you could have played the lane more aggressively or you know you didn't push up when scuttle crab is spawning like these sort of comments right but it's very very decisions path, oriented yeah. role like, as opposed but how to how a lane plays out on a very minute level like most head coaches aren't going to be able to have too much input on that like reaper obviously fantastic about top lane because he was a top laner before so he can have super specific like how the matchup should play out kind of minutia but in general a head coach is going to have to trust their laner when it comes to how the lane played out and then have more kind of broad comments. But when it comes to the jungle, it's always, well, you could have pathed the other way. You could have been top. You could have skipped this camp to do this. Like, there's a lot more, I think, ability for a head coach to influence jungle play. And I think that in summer, sorry, in spring, it's, it's fair to say that eventually, as the meta revolved, it was, let's set up FBI and Huhi for success, because if not, our other win conditions just aren't firing. And so what naturally comes with that is maybe start stacking Drakes because that's, that's very mm. close to the lane who yeah. will allow you know, the strong side, let's say. Um, and I think that what happened there is that eventually that perpetuated to a point where our jungler felt very pressured to kind of play for Drakes or play for objectives or play for the bot lane's advantage over and above anything else, including his own game state. And at that point, it's like, we got three Drakes, but our jungle is 40 CS behind. It's like, is that actually a good game state? You know, is yeah. that something that's going to, if you do it again and again, or if, you know, it doesn't take a lot of analysis to be like, oh, this is happening repeatedly with this team. You know, the scouting report's pretty clear there. Then it's pretty easy to answer. And I think you think back to 2020 when we were playing strong side top um, in summer and starting to get some results with the contracts Poom roster. You look at the best of five against EG and Huni's just blind picking Shen and kind of like enduring mm-hmm. it and making plays elsewhere. And so our one way to win is, is subverted. And I think yeah. that's largely what happened in spring is that we became one note by the end because we couldn't in scrims or practice find another way for us to win reliably. And people were able to kind of answer that. And then, you know, obviously closer individually looks bad and the team is not finding success. And I think what Reaper was able to do there was to really get a mind share or a just a reset about the jungle role and about where Closer was at because I think it was very much like, hey, I see you as this kind of player. I watched you in spring and saw this. What is it you want to do? Like very much like Closer-led situation. That doesn't mean that we're trying to be, you know, C9 from 2020 and everything's about blabber. But it does mean that the assumptions or the accumulated baggage that results in what you saw on stage by the end of spring didn't have to be how we started summer. And it, it took time to reset that. But I think now Closer understands how things can go natively or with kind of some of the teammates he's played with for a while and is able to say no a lot more. 
and kind of like have a voice that he commits to that's his own rather than his teammates a lot more. And I think you see that with his success and the fact that he's an MVP candidate here in summer season, but also even in kind of like setups with some days come back to your question where he understands his role in the game a lot clearer about his options and the fact that he is a real leader and decision maker on that. And so if there is that spot, if somebody is able to give an update where there is a play that makes sense, those two will come together. But it won't be, sorry, someday, like, I got to go box. The Drake's, mm -hmm. there are Drake's the other way. Yeah. Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense that, you know, the the ability of a team to play multiple different styles, right? Uh, from, from draft, drafting different styles to also executing, right? You can execute the same draft in multiple different ways and play for different kind of win conditions, whether you're whether you're dragon stacking, whether you're setting up 5v5 opportunities, whether you're playing you know, like pure tempo game and all about smashing down towers and rift heralds and so on, um, that diversity is something that really gives you a huge edge, especially when it comes to the bo 5s uh, And so, yeah, really interesting. And not every team has afforded it, right? Like not every no. team has a roster like ours where I would fancy all our players on strong side or weak side or have champion pools that can accomplish that. And then even then have draft resources that can set it up because if you if you're not able to play the meta and break mm -hmm. the meta at the same time then sometimes you know with the case of bands and and the the powerful picks especially on the blue side you know north america has been so often criticized for not being able to take advantage of red side mm -hmm. um of counter picks right and a lot of that is just going to be players who are like well i'm comfortable with this this and this and then it's like hey what if they blind pick this and they're like I don't really have a champion there. And yeah. it's like, then it's like um, a self-perpetuating process of blue yeah. side being more powerful and kind of things going the way they go. But bringing in Abadaga and empowering the players we do have, we do feel like we have all of those draft resources. And I think that's why people will compliment Reaper and say he's doing excellent drafts. And that part is true. But it's also his players are spamming the game and have good mindsets and are willing to as you heard from closer uh i guess from who he about closing the analysis like first time champions they haven't played on stage in a while yeah. in order to get draft victories and it's one thing to say hey i'll play the olaf and it's another thing to be fully trusted by yourself and your teammates that you don't need an olaf scrim recently to be able to excel right. on the champion yeah for sure and, and, and I think, you know, that, that flexibility is really a mul multiplicative force, right? Like, mm -hmm. I think if you're a team who is struggling to succeed, if let's let's just simplify and say if you're a bottom half team in the standings, mm -hmm. it's it's not so important to be able to play lots of different styles well, right? Like, it's, it's a really good thing to be flexible. Mm -hmm. But if you can't find one style that you executed at a really good level, then trying to play lots of different styles, you're, you're, ex you're, you're multiplying on a very low base value, right? So you got to increase your base value of here's how well we can execute on one thing and then add that flexibility into multiple things. And it, and it really I mean, up. but the sad, sad is a strong word, but the, the reality usually is, is that no team wants to stay in a box, right? You know, you yeah. even think of the other flip, the flip side of the coin, like really successful teams that played one style. You think of, um, you know, Team Liquid with double lift, you know, who mm -hmm. played very bot centric for a long time and Impact had yeah. no resources ever. TSM with double lift on Lucian. Long, it takes, further back. Well, sure. It takes a long, long time and a lot of scrims of trying other things for the team to agree that this is the right way to go. And even if you talk to some players on that team, I'm sure they tell you that there would be games where they tried impact on strong side and scrims. Yep. But it might have been one of those cases where like even impact about, hey, like on match day, I'm going to play the tank, but like let's try this today. Because mm -hmm. no, no one wants to be kept in the box. No one wants to be labeled as yeah. a one-way only player or one-way only team. And when well, it comes to bottom teams, it's usually they tried a lot of stuff. None of it really worked fantastically, but this was their best way to win. So they, they went with what they knew, you yeah. know? Um, Impact is a really interesting example on that because for years he was in a box as the mm -hmm. tank play, tank only player or label it weak side or whatever you want to use or misuse the term. Uh, and then EG in spring, they were get him on Renekton every possible chance and strong side the top lane because we don't think we can win with playing through the bot lane uh and so well it's actually team circumstances that put impact in that in those situations right and i'm, I'm happy to see him excelling you know like when he's picking yeah. a collie and looking good on it it's not that easy to do 
Um, you know, like there's a lot of players who play a lot of carries in solo queue who had a certain role. I think of Impact, but I also think of Santorin, who mm-hmm. would always be playing like Kindred and Nidalee in, in solo queue. And then, th- especially on his flight quest year last year, you know, like back into like the Volley Bear type of champions, you yeah. know, on stage or whatever had a CC that could allow Power of Evil to get a bigger lane advantage, you know? Um, and there's ego things related with that, but there's also... Then you put them on Kindred in a pro game, and it actually takes some relearning to be like, yeah. oh, I need selfish timers rather than team timers, and I need yeah. to be able to say no more because I can't spend all my time shadowing lanes. I need to be clearing my camps so that I'm innately powerful myself, and I'm sure for Impact, he would have always... He's a very confident guy. I've met him before and talked to him multiple times. Like, he would have always knew, known he could get there again, but I'm sure it was a relearning process yeah. of, of playing strong side rather than just... No, give me the carry, I'll smurf it, you know? It's it's not quite like that. <laughs> no, definitely not. It doesn't, doesn't work that way. It's a much more complicated team kind of circumstance. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, we've already been talking about some of the other teams in the LCS, but I'd love to kind of extend that conversation. As, as I mentioned earlier, you know, I, th- I think the top end of the LCS is pretty murky right now in a lot of ways. Um, there, there are certain people out there who will very very confidently say this is the best team in the LCS, uh, you know, all the way yeah, back to the Thieves. start of summer. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and, and I think Freak is kind of the poster boy of going out there and saying 100 Thieves are the best team in the LCS no matter what. But then, you know, the games play out and games do get dropped and other teams are, are taking, everybody's taking games off everybody, it seems. And mm-hmm. FlyQuest Academy ro- roster comes in and wins a bunch of games. It's And it's so hard to, to tell sometimes. Who do you see as, you know, let's, let's say 100 Thieves are at the top. And let's just leave that there and not worry about it. Uh, you could just go to you know the the ladder and see that we're on the top. So yeah, I don't, you don't need to spitball it. The that standings the story, right? seem to bear it out. So who would you say are the top? Let's say we're kind of pr- project who would go to Worlds right now from LCS. Who are the two teams that you think would go alongside you guys? I don't feel like I have a an answer I'd want to like commit to because I think it's hard to tell. I think. It's it's so hard to read because I don't think any team is outwardly certain to go to Worlds. Mm. Um, and I think even we have things to prove on stage that maybe I'm privately confident about. But one, it's one thing to see it, you know, um, in the first two round robins or in scrims. Another thing to see it, you know, on a Sunday in Stoke, I believe, is, you know, the, the, <laughs> the football meme. But... You know, playoffs and the last round robin are coming, so I might be privately confident. Like I think we have the best shot of any team to go to Worlds, but you look at all the other teams, and there's a lot of incomplete info. You know, I think that we have been able to. I mean, you look at TSM, and I think they're the most consistent. But mm. I know the the kind of common public knowledge, or sorry, common public sentiment is they might be one hard carry away from kind of the level of team they want to be. That doesn't mean that they're not super consistent. I think in best of fives, they would never be 3-0 or anything like that. So I think TSM is the easiest answer to say, like, probably would make it to Worlds. I wouldn't be able to commit on kind of first, second, or third seed. Um, TLC9 have their question marks, and they're a bit mystifying, even with kind of like a more active ear on the ground when it comes to like what's happening internally on those teams and different kind of like things I hear none of it really kind of like adds up to what we see on stage. Like there's definitely like unknowns that are really hard to know there, but the ceiling of both those teams are world teams. And then EG is, is coming on fast, you know, coming on hot. And what that means and what their ceiling is, like I have kind of like the caster brain when it comes to EG, because I don't see them too often. And so I think of, well, a fresh rookie from amateur and best of fives sounds like a really bad kind of like if you're counting on that performance in a best of five it's like one of the most common risk factors right is people's first big best of fives but they're on an eight game hot streak and i don't want to downplay what they've been able to put together and i think they have the clearest idea of any other team of how they want to play and how they want to win and i think they play their style really really well so i know it sounds like a cop-out answer but I think a lot will become clear in this last round, Robin, because I think finally teams have worked out what they are and what they aren't on the whole. I guess C9 and TL probably are still worryingly in that fact-finding mode in the fifth round, Robin, of the year um, of their own volition, it sounds like. So it's kind of an unfortunate thing for them. But 
I think there's eight teams who mostly know where they're at and two teams that are finding themselves and how that leads to the three teams at the top. <sighs> no idea, mate. No idea. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm curious from your perspective, how you look at things like the, the idea that some teams are experimenting or right, like trying to expand their flexibility. So I think a, um, when you look at a team like TSM that has maybe dropped a couple more games than you might have expected, and you look at, oh, Power of Evil's playing Lee Sin, and it doesn't seem very comfortable for him, but he keeps going back to it, presumably because he wants to get better at it and make it more comfortable so that by playoff time, it's ready. And maybe that hurts their, you know, their performance level in the regular season. Or Perks, you know, seems to not be in the best shape right now, but he'll bring it around by playoffs because they'll have figured out the best approach then, and they're not as worried about regular season success. Do you buy into that idea of, Regular season games just don't matter quite as much. They're more of a resource to use, so we shouldn't get too bought into the standings and so on. To some degree, um, you know, because I'm I've been the face of a lot of heist episodes and things where I'm asking for trust or talking about what I see in scrims and things. Like you have to read into certain things. I mean, to bounce off the point you're making, I look at Power of Evil playing Lee Sin, and you're like, okay, well, obviously not as comfort. Would he play this in a game for his life? Probably not. But why is he playing it then is the question that I think a lot of people will come in different directions to. And my guess is, is that his coach needs more draft resources. And the moment that you enter a draft, someone locks in Lee in first pick and you're like, wow, that's definitely not mid lane. Mm -hmm. Your team is already at a relative disadvantage to, oh, wow, we've seen four people on this team play this champion. Yeah. It could be going anywhere. And so... Draft resources are underrated because I think people look at draft in a vacuum a lot. You mm -hmm. know, they look at, um, well, this Lee champion could be played here, lane, here, yeah. and here, yeah. right? <laughs> and it's like, all right, we're playing against TSM. We've scrimmed against them X amount of times. We never saw Lee Sin mid lane. Mm -hmm. It doesn't fit him as a champion. Let's make the, you know, um, it's not a sole read to say it's probably not mid, you know? Yeah. Um, until proven otherwise. And so showing these things now. You're like, oh, it could be mid, you know, like we can't disrespect or disregard that. And I think back to SK Telecom T1 um, back in the days when they were kind of neck and neck with KT. Um, KT played a lot of Zillion mid and then SKT just randomly the last ra last week of the regular season, they could just play Zillion mid. It wasn't really the right pick for the comp or anything, but it was very much like, by the way, we play Zillion too, so don't, you know. <laughs> Don't you think that we can't get away with that um, in a best of five? And I think it's really, really important to buy draft space. And buying draft space is by having a big champion pool and a big effective champion pool. Yeah. And I think Power of Evil is a wonderful mid laner, but buying draft space, if you only play one archetype of champions, is very, very hard. And usually the people that pay the price for not having draft space is your teammates, right? Because it's like, they're not working with more um, you know, options or flexibility because people are respecting that you might play this champion mid. And I think that's what DSM are trying to do, and that's what they're trying to solve for. Yeah, and, and you know, to Power of Evil's credit, he has been playing different kinds of champions, and I think he's been doing mm -hmm. reasonably well on them. I don't want this to come across as like trying to pick on him or something like that. No, it's just a, I mean, it's just Power a front of, of mind a, example. A so. Great player. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, some might argue top two or three mid laner in, in the sure. you said top two earlier for abadaga and i'm sure you know power people was a candidate I, mean, for, I, I do my own internal rankings you know leadership always wants a pulse on that and i add power people at top two for sure i i don't remember i it was on the analyst desk a couple of people i think it was just this last weekend they did their mid laner power rankings but i don't remember how they had it all shaking out so uh you know just one of those interesting things different perceptions and different value um a couple of the other teams you know not so much necessarily at the top end of the standings but i'd love to get a little bit of a take on is obviously the the licorice uh, uh acquisition for golden guardians was a big deal um how do you feel about about that and having seen the way they've been playing with him lately because you know golden guardians are really seem to be coming on and at least a huge improvement from what they were uh in spring at least i think the pickup makes so much sense for them um people who followed the offseason would know that Licorice was a player they coveted before they um, ended up selling players to us or before their offseason kind of changed gears um, with the financial crunch. And so he's a player they had a lot of trust in. You know, like they really, really wanted him then. 
And I think just an opportunity came up where they clearly had the financial means in order to facilitate a pickup and they went with their read over what people see on stage. And on the one hand, they have scrim data, so maybe he was dominating them in scrims, who's to say? Um, but on the other hand, they probably just had a read that the qualities they saw eight, nine, ten months ago still apply to this player moving forward. And I think I was talking about how um, you know FBI was a player that attracts other players. I think if you're a team in the bottom half or a team that isn't one of the traditional powerhouses of TSM, TLC9, you need to have a player or players that other players want to play with. Otherwise, you don't have the, but we're TSM or but we're C9 yeah. or now, but we're 100 Thieves that other teams are able to throw around. And I think that's why they publicly announced, hey, we're extending him till 2023 because they're saying, if our read and our trust in licorice that we've had for a long time is well founded there are going to be people that remember this guy as the best top laner in north america and want to play with him and i think that's what a golden guardians needs in order to you know push up the standings or to have meaningful off seasons so if they're well financially supported in future off seasons and licorice is able to continue to show the level of performance he did this week it's a multiplicative win for them um, to pick him up and, and narrowing down to your question. I think Golden Guardians over summer have been finding their stride. You know, even when Solo was in the lineup, there was definitely mm -hmm. a lot less randomness or a lot less um, simple mistakes they were making. Because I think definitely there were a lot of games where in the early game, like the first 10 minutes, they made like a catastrophic mistake and there wasn't really any coming back from it. And I think they were already kind of like in the AP course when it came to that sort of development and then now injecting a player who is performing as well as licorice has been in the past week or so um just makes them much more formidable so i think they're an opponent that if you treat them lightly whether it's licorice's performance or a blaze olive flexing callista into the mid lane mm -hmm. uh, he was clearly watching our academy matches because uh ryan actually played callista mid lane um <laughs> earlier in the split as well um yeah definitely underestimate them at your peril and FlyQuest Academy fits into that archetype as well right now in sure. the LCS and that there isn't any free wins right now um, in the LCS it feels like and yeah. I think that's just a good thing you know you want every game to be competitive and I think that's something that right now you can start to feel is when you look at a weekend where a lot of the contender teams went one and two um, or dropped games to teams that they weren't expected to and a lot of the bottom teams did really well um, I think that's just better for the viewer, right? That's definitely a league I would prefer to cast. Yeah, definitely. And I'm curious your perspective on a situation like the the Licorice one, or um, we just saw something very similar with CLG picking up Demonte and, and kind of moving on from Pobelter. How do you deal with a, a, a move like that, especially partway through a split, um, and, and manage kind of what you think is going to be best for your team competitively, versus the relationship with the player, which can have longer-term consequences for, you know, if a player feels mistreated or something like that. Obviously, there's... So a, which, way, which, which way are you asking here? Like, who, who are you... When you say you, are you asking, like, FlyQuest with Licorice going out or Golden Guardians bringing in Licorice? Like, what are you asking there? With, so with the... the more from the Golden Guardians perspective, if, if you're a GM of Golden Guardians and you're saying to yep. Solo, like, hey, we signed you at the start of the split, but five weeks in, we're going to replace you. How do you manage the, those relationships in a way that will not damage maybe your credibility or your brand with other players or just with the individual themselves who you you know you want to respect as a person and so on? I think there's no easy answer to that. And there's usually a lot more going on that we have incomplete information on. So I can't give you a great answer. I mean, obviously, we've, um, you know, bench players on 100 Thieves and it's gone in different ways. You know, the media's one played out in the public. We've had other ones play out in private. It's a lot about what relationship you um, kind of like establish with a player and the conversations you've had. And there's no perfect way, you know, because at the end of the day, it's, hey, um, you're not longer being able to do what you were hired to do and we're hiring someone else to do it. Like there's always going to be frayed feelings. And all I've learned is to be consistent in your communication as much as possible um, and also to fully vet kind of every side of how a change is going to be made from the coaching side to the player's side to 
the player coming inside to make sure it's what you want to do. And then you just have to trust your read and then be willing to be wrong. Like there's a chance that you're making a mistake. Every roster change you make isn't necessarily going to make your team better, even if you had all the right variables to it. And it has to be about what are the processes I went through? Do I trust them? Did I listen to the right people? And then every time you go through a scenario like that, what are the learnings and what will I do next time? So I can't comment on the Golden Guardian side because I don't know much. And Solo was making their team better, at least from a scrim and stage performance level. But I do know how much Golden Guardians believed in Licorice. Like this was very mm -hmm. much their first choice in a fully supported world. And I think as a GM, you know, when you have that option again and potentially it's at a you know lower price point and things like that, then sometimes you have to allow for certain consequences and areas where it will feel bad or people are being slightly um, not as well treated as you would like to an ideal world and just go with it because you think on balance it's going to make your org better. Um, yeah. So it's it's tough, man. Like being a GM, you can never fully serve anyone like in this role there's leadership there's the players there's the coaching staff there's the fans and working on any one area of those and there's yourself and your own development and focusing your attention anywhere something else could slip you know like mm -hmm. this I, I have three teams here and i have so many different stakeholders who rely on me and i always in doing something good will let someone else down and it's about prioritization and focusing my attention smartly to try to maximize the wins, but you can never focus on minimizing the losses because then you're just in action rather than the action you need to be able to uh, compete at the highest level. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I guess on the human side of it, um, like you're saying, it, it, so much of it depends on the groundwork going into the, into the moment, right? Into the big difficult moment. It's not really about, it, it's it's largely about how you handle that moment, but much more about the groundwork you did going into it. You know, were you authentic and genuine with this person? There's never just a well? wholly happy moment, you know? Yeah. Like, there's always the moment that the analyst will be excited about. Like, Danny's getting his chance in the LCS. Like, isn't that great? He came up from the amateur scene. And, like, there's also someone who lost their job, yeah. you know? Um, and that's the, the reality there is... From the outside, you, th you see things as holy wins, you know? Like, I think yeah. a lot of people on the outside will just see things. But it's also, like, as a GM who's passing on the information to Danny, to definitely, I guess, for the EG mm -hmm. case, you also worked day in and day out with the player on the way out and understand them on a deep level and what they value and what they're shooting for. And you also have to manage the offboarding and relationship there. And it's uh, it's tough, you know? Yeah. It's, it's tough, and you just have to know why you're making decisions because otherwise you know you definitely have uh knights in the fetal position where you're like I, I wish it didn't go this way you know yeah no definitely can be hard uh so i have not left a whole lot of time for us to talk about something that i think a lot of hundred thieves fans would see as just an enormous topic that we could do more than a full episode on but obviously your, your talent pipeline is a huge part of what hundred thieves has become kind of, I think, very popular and known for over the past year and a half or or, or so. Um, and maybe we'll just take a few minutes to just check in on how things sure. are going there. Uh, you know, the, the big names people tend to talk about a lot in this space uh, can be in tenacity. You've been the, a couple of really big name prospects. You've had Poom, uh, you know, have a little bit of LCS time and now anchoring the Academy side. Um, how do you think that the entire kind of project is, is shaping out for you so far? You know, maybe just take the opportunity to shout out whatever you want to shout out in this space. No, I think um, kind of the for sure win from 2020 was, you know, next and the progression of a lot of those players to our academy and other academy teams. Like I was sending messages to Zinn or NXI, you know, mm -hmm. during the weekend, obviously cheering him on, um, seeing him step up on FlyQuest LCS now. Yeah. Um, and so those players have continued to progress both in our org and other orgs. And that's obviously a heartwarming and exciting thing. Um, but there was also our Academy boys from last year, right? A lot of Kelsey's crew who have now gone on to the LCS and, and opportunity mm -hmm. there as well. So it's obviously very satisfying to see strong players with good mindsets and good attitudes find a success around the league. And then for myself, I know that coming in and considering being a GM and coming into this space, 
the sort of moves that I envied or respected that a general manager made, or in this case, an owner, as you look back to some of Cloud9's roster decisions when it came to allowing Impact to leave because they had Licorice on the roster, and even the decisions around Fudge and, and uh, all the other roster decisions they made, I felt like Cloud9, because they had a consistent um, talent pipeline, always had to make really hard decisions. They had more you know, private information than the fans did in a lot of those cases, but mm -hmm. you want to have scenarios where you have really hard decisions to make in the offseason of two players in your own org that don't involve a buyout and that you know on a deep level who who should start in the future and what decisions can be made there. And uh, creating an amateur pipeline and a strong academy team is the sort of thing that's going to create headaches at the end of this offseason. You know, like that's that's the reality is I've now caused myself more stress by having a lot of great players. I think we have 10 LCS caliber players uh, between LCS and academy on our org right now. And I think all of them are chomping at the bit for an opportunity. And so the reality is, is that we've caused ourselves a headache. But yeah, like I said, it's the GM headache you want. Yeah, for sure. And, and I'm curious, I think that's that's probably the biggest question I have for you as the GM in this situation is, is how how you end up approaching like an, uh, an upcoming offseason. It's a while away for yet, but I'm sure you are always thinking in, in it in, towards the future. How do you, how do you approach an offseason like that when you've got both a strong veteran roster, you know, and, and it'll change the, the rest of the season might change how you perceive some of that. But you also have these upcoming players and you have kind of this this abundance of resources and you want to make sure that you maximize value from them. Um while also treating the players well, you know, maybe wanting to be careful about, you know, imprisoning players in academy or however the community is going to label that, right? Um, how, do, how do you kind of manage that in the best way to to try to get the, the best overall set of uh, outcomes from it? I think you just try and do right by everyone, which sounds like a very yeah, <laughs> flippant way to put just it do out a good there. Job. But, <laughs> but it's a case of what are you trying to solve for? You know, like, what are you trying to do? What are your goals, both individually negotiated with players or your roster build and where that's intended to finish and things like that? And, you know, people might look at our LCS team as a veteran roster, but I think the only player who truly fits that archetype is to some degree someday. And people will look at, say, like the age of who he or, or other players and think, okay, but, you know, there's a lot of 22-year-olds on this team. But the way I look at the players we picked up last offseason is that a lot of them were in their second year when it comes to playing in a top level league in a certain role like you look at fbi he'd had one year as a starter on golden guardians you had look at who he had a split you know a split and a half however long it was yeah, as, as a, a support. An lcs support um so it's a lot of players where they've gotten over their adjustment period and they were ready to to show just the level they could get to and I think we have a lot of players on the ascent, even in LCS. And then we have the more traditional, honest rookies, you know, the 17, 18-year-olds in the academy program or Luger coming over from Turkey um, who are also trying to find that success. So it's it's nice to have kind of basically 10 players to tap into and to push. And I talk to all these players individually and know what their goals are. And so treat, doing right by all of them is, on the one hand, seeing team and individual success um, from both, but it's also each of these players reaching their individual goals, feeling valued, and knowing that their future goals are aligned with the org. And I think, sure, there's going to be competing interests, right? Like, I think all 10 players want to be LCS starters for 100 Thieves. Mm -hmm. But I think all of them know where they stand in general and know what they're working towards, and they know that there's going to be a lot of tough decisions at the end of the year. So. It's a really interesting one. You know, we have a lot of different ways we can go, but we also have a lot of season to push through. You know, we still have another round robin, hopefully a deep worlds run and things like that. And then it's going to be a lot of what is our goal for 2022? And that's talking to leadership and understanding what the market looks like. It's going to be a stressful one. But again, having these options to choose between plus um, an org that supports us financially as well as 100 Thieves does just means that if we reach the end of each season and we're not a top competitor, I'm probably doing something wrong. So that's a, a good problem to have because a lot of GMs, you know, you, I, I, my hearts go out to, especially, you know, you think of Golden Guardians and FlyQuest who had to shelve their plans and, and adjust, mm -hmm. right, when it came to the 2021 season because of a financial crunch. I think we don't have any of those limiters here at 100 Thieves. So it's just 
what have we got going on here? What's out there in the world? And what do smart people say is the right way for us to pivot? Yeah, for sure. And you'd absolutely rather be in the position of having too many resources to work with and not knowing the optimal way embarrassment of riches a lot on cost yeah. i would always get called out for it because i'd be like oh you know this team has an embarrassment of riches they're so far ahead they've got all the items and you know it's very self-congratulatory pat on the back but when we started um this was the problems i wanted to have and it's taken two years to vest in this way but it is definitely a happy headache i think of yeah it. for sure well let's uh Let's wrap things up with just a, a couple minutes here of some listener questions. Uh, I give people an opportunity to submit questions in advance uh, at patreon.com slash Oracle's Elixir. Um, and we had one come in from Cole Eisenberger of the 100 Talk podcast. Mm, uh, good man. Who, yeah, good good guys over there that run a show uh, completely about 100 Thieves, not just League of Legends, the entire org. So check that out. Um, and his question is, what differences in match prep or strategies have uh, 100 Thieves implemented between spring and summer? Um, so I guess uh, pointing a little bit at the Reaper change. And which of those differences do you believe have contributed most to the team's success this split? I mean, obviously, we've touched on a lot of these specifics, talking about kind of the different parts of the roster and the um, changes we've made you know, with Reaper coming in. I think that Reaper's match day prep is pretty significantly different to um tony or zixis when it comes to getting things there i think he's a lot about draft resources and setting those up during the week and empowering players to play a lot of different champions whatever they have recent practice on or not so i think having draft flexibility is probably the thing that i feel the most between this summer and kind of previous splits where i felt like as the split went on we got limited more than we got opened up and so I think that's probably what I feel the most is, is that it is a big mind shift change to empowering players to go in whatever direction they want. And sometimes people will look on the outside and wonder if it's like a worrying trend. I'm sure like the Lee Sin um, center bot lane or maybe even the center Ziggs might have, to some people, kind of drawn their ire or comparisons to Cloud9 in previous years. But we know the problems we're solving for and we know why we're doing things. Um, it is to get draft edges as much as possible. And if all the players are performing and confident on things and it's at least tested, then as long as we're solving for the right things, I think that goes well. So I think that match day mind, sh mind share shift is probably what I've noticed the most is a, a change from before. Yeah, interesting. Uh, and, and we'll take one more here from uh, Flailiger, right. who, uh, who wants to know, how would 100 Thieves finishing third in regular season, if that happened, how would that be viewed internally relative to expectations? I think regular season, I mean, as things currently stand, being one game clear of yeah. um, second place and what, three games clear of um, EG and uh, I believe C9 who yeah. are in the next book. I mean, easy to say that would be a disappointment, right? Because it would suggest that we lost like four games, you know, went five and four or four and five or whatever ended up happening there. Um, but in terms of like judging this year on the summer regular season it's definitely not going to be the decision there like losing out on being in in top bracket of um playoffs is something that would suck to lose but i think all decisions are on hold until we work out if we made it to worlds or not like worlds is our mm -hmm. goal is what we said at the start of the year and i think ever since the off season started we've shaped ourselves to be able to as honestly say that out loud and for it to be true and I think that's still the approach. And obviously, once that's in the books, let's say we win our first best of five in the upper bracket and we're, you know, playing off, then obviously the goal becomes win the whole damn thing, right? But um, I think that third and regular season, I don't think regular season finish is going to be the data point the leadership is going to scrutinize. Now, going on a losing streak in the last round robin and the worrying trend that represents, sure, yeah. that's going to be something to review. But like saying you're going to finish third in the regular season at the start of the split and then confirming that that wouldn't be seen as a win either right it's all yeah. contextual and it all really depends on how the playoffs finish yeah for sure totally fair answer uh well we'll wrap things up there because i think we've uh we've covered a good hour of stuff and it's been really sure. fascinating so thank you very much for joining on the show today papa and, and sharing all these insights uh, is there anything you'd like to shout out before we go whether it's your own socials or or something else no, I mean, I think just shout out to the fans who have stuck with us this year. I'm sure that people are 
getting more confident in telling other people they're 100 Thieves League of Legends fans <laughs> and and participating, you know. Um, at the end of the day, people like winning, and we've been able to do that a lot more in summer. But there are also a through line of people who kind of understood the moves we were making before and supported them or at least trusted that we kind of knew where we wanted to end up and that we knew that our goal was reachable of making it to Worlds. And obviously, big signings, you know, big name value signings are going to be signal value that we're serious about that. But the serious part came in, you know, years ago. And the, the process has been consistent. And the idea of always fielding the best possible roster has never been something we've shied away from, whether it's the popular decision or not. You know, like we know what we're solving for here. And obviously we'll only know in hindsight whether we reach the ultimate goal that we've been shooting for. But I really do appreciate the people who have like taken a thoughtful approach and who've put trust in us because yes, some of it's been vested, but there's still a lot more League of Legends to be played to fully prove to those people they made the right decision. And for all the people coming on lately, it's a fun ride over here, and uh, join us through uh, hopefully what is a Deep Worlds run in a couple of months. Yeah, absolutely. Well, good luck with uh, achieving all of that, and thanks again thank for, for being here. And thank you to everyone for listening. Uh, you can support the True Sight podcast at patreon.com slash oracleselixir. You can subscribe to the show on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, uh, as well as anchor.fm slash truesight. Uh, and make sure you check out the Oracle's Elixir Discord server where we talk about League of Legends esports, data science, and, and a lot of other things. Uh, and, and we have a lot of fun making predictions about the LCS as well week to week. So join in with 100 that. 100 win. <laughs> so links of all those things will be in the show notes. This has been the True Sight Podcast, and I'm Tim Sevenhusen. Thanks for listening. Thank you.